Marky, are we currently live? Yes. 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 <laughs> well, it's not like Take you it easy, said, Mark Doggy like Dog. Said, let's prizzy or whatever. I did. I said let's prizzy. Are we getting Snoop Dogg up in this episode? We always prizzy before the uh, the apizzy records I can't with you guys, honestly. <laughs> um, Nick. Yes. Don't you always start the show with a specific bit? There's a specific bit that we do. I can't. <laughs> I can't remember it right now. What are we? Is this what real? Are, Can you? We, are you faking? What do we usually do? I I just can't. Oh man! Breaking news on Bible Dingers <laughs> News Network. Is this quiet or are my headphones quiet? Oh, it is my headphones. Yay! Yeah, yeah. You guys know how we start the show. I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark, and we are Bible Dingers. And if this is your first time listening, we always start every single episode with fake news or real news where I come up with a headline, and Ryan and Mark have to decide whether it's real or fake. That's right. Every single episode. So if you're new, you know to fast forward three minutes mm-hmm. to get <laughs> this to is what you like- actually want to hear. This is most. I think this is the best part of our show, honestly. The best part, yep. The best part, definitely not the Bible. The best part is every part. Oh. That's what Mark always says, right? When I'm like, everybody's favorite part of the show, and Mark's like, "Yep, it's every part." I don't think I've ever heard that. I don't think that's ever. Uh, left you my know mouth. what I did hear Mark say though is to turn your notifications off. I just did. We, oh, okay. <laughs> I just did. A little late. <laughs> oh. Hey. Barkley wants some fake news. I need to turn my. You you know what Mark did say? (laughs) Shut off the notifications on your dog. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so fake news or real news? You guys ready for this? Nope. You ready? Yeah, why not? Okay. Oregon County. You guys familiar with that county? Yeah, it's in Oregon. Awesome. Wow. Took a lot. Issues face mask order that exempts black people. Fake news or real news? I'm scared to <laughs> take a guess. Um, if it's in Oregon, why would Oregon have an Oregon County? It's probably in Washington. That's what you're questioning? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably in Washington where everything's going crazy right now. So I'd say, yeah, that's real news. No, please tell me that's fake. I hate when this happens. So you're saying fake. Yes. You're saying real? Yeah. I hate when this happens. Who do I answer to? I got to hit both of the sound bites now? It's definitely real news. I told you. Lincoln County, Oregon has exempted non-white people from a new order requiring that face coverings be worn in public to prevent racial profiling. So check this out. Health officials announced last week residents must wear face coverings in public setting where they may come within six feet of another individual who is not from the same household. Here's a catch. But people of color do not have to follow the new rule if they have heightened concerns about racial profiling profiling, and harassment over wearing the mask. Huh. Interesting. It almost sounds like segregation again. Uh, it almost sounds like laws that are racist. Oh, well, it's not a law, but... Yeah. Well, it is a law. Well, I guess. 
It's a temporary law. But it just said, like, what is the difference between... So it set out to protect well, it's their emotion. Talking about racial profiling. But in reality, what this does is put, it puts black people more at risk. <laughs> yeah, that's what, true. But isn't it saying that they have to wear masks? They said they can, but the mandatory law is for everyone else except them. So if they feel segregated, they can either wear it or not wear it. So, what it, do they want black people to actually catch the virus, or are they trying to protect their rights? I don't know. Interesting. If they're trying to protect their rights, I'm assuming we should all have our rights protected. But uh, Yeah. I just thought this was... I, I would have said fake news, because there's no way. They were like, we're going to do a law. Especially after all this George but, Floyd stuff. Yeah. You know? It's crazy to me, but yeah, that's real news. If you guys want to read up on it, it's on the New York Post. You can Google, and it's definitely a real article. Go ahead and read it. Yep. Today we are discussing the book of Daniel. If you made it this far with us, congratulations. If this is... Well, let's give you a round of applause first. We love you if you've been with us from the beginning. If this so happens to be your very first episode that you're listening with us because you found us on social media or, you know, randomly searching for a Bible podcast and you landed on Daniel, you wanted to hear our most recent, we go through every single book of the Bible. And today we are on Daniel. And this is by no way replacing the reading that you have of Daniel. We want you to read your Bibles. But we do do. Uh, we do do. do. <laughs> we do do. <laughs> hey. A brief overview of the book. We go through title. We go through author. Date of events. What else do we got? Fun facts. All that good stuff. Every episode is the same type of episode, except we talk about different books. Yes. So today we are talking through the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel is the last of the major prophet books, and it's actually one of the most difficult books of the Bible, if we're, if we're going to be honest here. Um, some people call it the revelation of the Old Testament, and we all know how difficult revelation is. Mm. Um, but we're going to try and break it down potato head style, make it as easy as possible for you to understand. Um, so first thing we're going to talk about is the title. The title of Daniel is Daniel, and it is named after the main character and possibly writer of the book, as with most of the prophet books. Um, when I say most, I mean every prophet book except for Lamentations. Um, Daniel's name means God is my judge. I feel like Judge God would be a lot better than Judge Judy to watch. Mm. You know, I wish we still had the gavel. Yeah. If you guys be. haven't heard that episode, shout out to our judges episode. That would be ruthless. No, I, you, there would be a Ruth there. There'd be mercy. <laughs> they would have to curve was, the name. I was about to say he wouldn't show the mercy. <laughs> <laughs> they would have to curve the name to make it more TV friendly. So I think it would be like Judge Jesus or something. Maybe. I um. Should I get sidetracked? Get sidetracked. 
there I have to I had to call the warehouse manager in our Tampa warehouse and his name is Jesus. I had to call the operator to get the phone number or whatever. So I have a note on my desk that just says Jesus and a phone number. <laughs> so I wonder if people like walk in and see that note at my desk. They're like, oh, you talking oh, to Jesus? He's got some he's got some mean connects, huh? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, you guys didn't deserve that. I'm sorry. So the author of Daniel <clears throat> is actually a little bit of a controversy. Actually, probably one of the most controversial books um, when it comes to authorship. And there, there's a lot of people that think Daniel wasn't written by the prophet Daniel because of several reasons. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give you those reasons right now. There kind of seems to be a discontinuity in the writing because a large chunk of the text is in Aramaic. And that's from chapters 2, verses 4b, until chapter 7, verse 28. And the rest of the book is written in Hebrew. So there's just a big chunk right in the middle of Daniel that's written in a different language than the rest of the book. The second reason is the events and consequently the life of Daniel appear to span a really long time. So he was taken as a quote-unquote young man, is what the book of Daniel says, in 605 B.C. But he was old enough to make the decision to not conform to Babylonian customs, and we'll talk about that a little more when we get into the book. He ended up choosing his own diet against the king's wishes. So he was old enough to where he knew what a good diet would be, what a healthy diet would be for him. And he was old enough to know, you know, how to stand up to somebody who's telling them the wrong thing. There's a lot of people that still do that diet, right? To this day. Yeah, the Daniel fast or whatever. Mm -hmm. So he goes from being a young man in 605 BC and then lives life all the way until post-exilic times. <clears throat> so Daniel 10 verse 1 describes the third year of Cyrus, which is 536 BC. So he went all the way from before the exile to being exiled all the way till after exile. So that means he was still having visions and writing them in this book into his late 80s and early 90s if he is the author of the book. Uh, the third reason is that the first half of Daniel is written in third person and the second half is written in first person. So there's another kind of discontinuity there. Hmm. And the fourth and final reason, obviously there's many minor reasons why people believe what they believe, but these are the four big ones, is that, and I've used this word before, anti-supernaturalists, or you could just say naturalist. I prefer anti-supernaturalists. They won't allow for the events prophesied about in Daniel to come after the date of authorship <clears throat> because that would validate supernatural prophecy. So because he said things were going to happen that happened after what a conservative scholar would say the date of writing is, they say that cannot be the date of writing because these things happened. And it's only because they won't allow for miraculous prophecies to exist. They say that that cannot happen. And so that is also credence to giving it a later date. They would say it was written after the prophecies were fulfilled. So that's the four big reasons why people say that Daniel couldn't have been written by actual Daniel. 
I have a few counter arguments for these points, though, as you expect I would. Of course. The first one is that the Aramaic section of Daniel is a portion directed to Gentiles. It's not directed to Jews. And Aramaic was the most understood language, and it was generally the language for business in the world at that time. Kind of similar to how English is in our modern world. A lot of people in foreign countries know English because it's just the most common language to know across the world. And so the Jewish readers, they would have understood both Aramaic and Hebrew sections. But since that certain section was written to Gentiles, he wrote it in Aramaic so that the Gentiles would understand it, which makes sense. He's just a thoughtful author. The second point is that I don't think it's unlikely for someone to live into their late 80s, especially someone that eats well and is in physically good shape. And like I said, the early chapters of Daniel talk about his diet that was heavily based on vegetables and water. And those verses actually mention that he was physically fit. So I don't think that it's unlikely for Daniel to have lived into his late 80s and 90s. People do it all the time. My great-grandmother lived to 103. And I wish I cared about that more when I was a kid. She died when I was maybe seven or eight. Mm. And I knew that she was 100 to 103, but, you know, you're a kid. that That's not yeah, important yeah, yeah. to you. But now I wish I would have, like, talked to her because she lived in, like, the 1890s. Yeah, yeah. So I wish I would have been, like, what was life like before this and this and yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyways, it's definitely not crazy for people to live into their late 80s and be able to write still. The third counterpoint is that many of the prophetic books are written in both the first and the third person. It's not unique to Daniel at all. Um, And it's kind of an element of the writing style, and it's used to engage the intended audience. So that's not unique to Daniel. If you're going to argue that that's the reason why Daniel wasn't written by Daniel, then you'd have to argue against probably all the prophetic books and the Pentateuch. And almost every book is written in first and third person. Um, So it's just the writing style of the day. And then fourthly, the naturalist presupposition. And then fourthly. Rewind. And then. And fourthly. Okay, Nick, you pronounce it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm worse than he is. (laughs) And fourthly, the naturalist presuppositional worldview does not allow them to believe in a supernatural prophecy so they're the ones coming to the authorship discussion with a bias yeah. and a predetermined outcome, not me. Um, so those are my four counter arguments for that. On top of those, I actually believe there's more reasons to give Daniel the authorship of this book. Um, and the first one on top of that is that the book itself claims Daniel's authorship seven times, and it claims it from beginning to end. And so a couple of the arguments were of the discontinuity But Daniel's authorship is claimed throughout the entire book, not just in one section of the book. So I don't think that you can say that he just wrote one section and we see it claiming Daniel wrote it in one section because it it was across the entire Mm. book. The second point I want to make is that Jesus affirmed Daniel's authorship, and that was in Matthew 24, verse 15, and Mark 13, verses 14. Third, the Jewish Talmud claims Daniel as the author and that one you can kind of take it how you want that's not like a that's not a home run there 
But a lot of people consider the Talmud pretty reliable because it's old Jewish tradition. It's been around for a long time. So it's it's got some credibility. It's not completely unreliable. And then the last point I wanted to make, which is actually the most important point I want to make, is that the book of Ezekiel mentions Daniel three times. And that's in Ezekiel 14, 14, 14, 20, and 28, 3. Now, that's important because Ezekiel is one of the least debated books when it comes to authorship and date, um, as you guys already know now, if you listen to the Ezekiel episode, I guess, which you should if you haven't. Um, We actually know the exact days that Ezekiel was written, and Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel and wrote about him, affirming his existence. And Ezekiel speaks about Daniel's righteousness and wisdoms in these passages, along with Noah and Job placing him among a couple of the great patriarchs. So that, I think that's an important point. We know definitely when Ezekiel lived, we know exactly to the day when he wrote his book. And he wrote about Daniel in his book. So we know they were contemporaries. They knew each other. Daniel was kind of a famous guy in that time. And so I think that's some uh, important stuff to yeah, keep in I mind. Yeah, I mean, if the other points aren't enough, this one really sees the deal for yeah. me. All right, so... If we're going to go with Daniel being the author, uh, then let's go ahead and talk about the date of the authorship. All right, so the controversy surrounding Daniel's date of authorship mostly comes from naturalists who can't accept supernatural prophecy, as I mentioned. Most of the prophecies in the book unfold between the 4th and 2nd centuries B.C., although the book claims to have been written in the 6th century B.C., So most skeptics believe that Daniel was written after the event, sometime after 165 B.C. And 165 B.C. is significant because that's the most recently fulfilled prophecy. So Daniel 11, 21 through 35 is the event prophesied here. And that was fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes. And he fulfilled it in 165 B.C. So skeptics would say that it was written sometime after 165 B.C. There's several reasons why this can be rejected, though, and some some I'm going to kind of restate from the author section, so some of these arguments you're going to already know, but there's some other stuff to keep in mind here. Manuscript fragments were found in Qumran, which date back to the 2nd century B.C., and if the book of Daniel was written after 165 B.C., that doesn't give us enough time to pass for it to reach the community to copy manuscripts. So it couldn't have been written after 165 because we know that these fragments in Qumran were dated to around that time, 160, 170 BC. So it wouldn't, there wouldn't be enough time for Daniel to have been written, found its way to this group of people to have made the manuscripts. Another thing to keep in mind is that Daniel records several minute details about people, events, and customs that someone would only know if they lived during the time that Daniel claims to be to have been written in. How you doing? So, like, if there was a book that we were reading and that had all these tiny details about what it was like in the 1700s, you and I have no, no. idea. I mean, even historians, they know... Good. They know a lot of details about it, but not the small, tiny, minute details that Daniel has about things and people and and different things about that time. So you would have to be living in that time to really know the small details that are written in Daniel. Definitely. 
Another thing to keep in mind is that the book of Ezekiel notes Daniel, and we know the exact date of writing for Ezekiel, um, which we already mentioned. And then lastly, this is kind of similar to an argument from before, the objection to 6th century authorship is not based on evidence but on presuppositions. So there's no evidence to say that Daniel was written in 165 BC. There's no archaeological evidence at all pointing to this date. It's just people's presuppositions saying that Daniel couldn't have prophesied and these things take place. So it was written in 165 BC. That's not true. Hmm. You're coming with your bias. You You need to go with the evidence, not the bias. And the evidence says that it was written in the 6th century. Look at you. That was awesome. Thanks. Yeah, but Ryan, you're a Christian, so you have tiny brain. <clears throat> that is true as well. Yeah. So. They would say that you're deciding your decision based on presuppositions. Well, my presuppositions are evidence, so <laughs> Anyway, the next section uh, is the date of events. And uh, this was gone over for the most part. In the date of writing, Ryan covered a lot, but the events range from the capture and exile into Babylon, which was in 605 BC, to the culmination of the world based on your interpretation of the scriptures. For the most part, there is a big chunk of people that believe there are prophecies in the book that are yet to be fulfilled. So the next uh, point is the purpose. That's the purpose. All right, the porpoise is best said by Charles Dyer, where he says, Daniel's purpose in writing blended the two themes of prophecy and piety. He wrote first to show God's future program for the nation of Israel and light of her fall during and after the times of the Gentiles. Second, he wrote to show what the believer's present response should be as they await the coming kingdom of God. Daniel encourages readers to remain faithful to God in a hostile society where they waited for God's promised kingdom. So I think he says it, he says it amazing. Um, But feel free to do your own research and read the book of Daniel so you can see how you take the purpose. I do think Charles, Charles Dyer said it well, though. What do you think? I think he said it terribly. That's why we chose him. I think we should delete everything. I agree with you. This episode is canceled. Ooh cancel culture if you want to learn something about god shut your mouth and listen to me for a minute you got that charles yep and now is when we wake up because this show is about to go down do you know why (laughs) do you guys know why is it because the fun fact section is next nicholas hey michael don't get my government nicholas michael a Hey, fun facts. Do you guys know my middle name? Robert. Oh, yeah, that is. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good guess. If you had no clue, that was a really good guess. That was. Yeah, r and Railroad, right here. Right, I, don't, I don't know why I said Wait, it like that. Wait, did you just say words? Anyway, next is everyone's favorite part of the show. That is fun facts. The first one. There are over a hundred fulfilled prophecies in chapter 11 alone. How you doing? Second, most dispensational premillennial theologians pull most of their eschatology 
from the book of Daniel. Are you doing? What's eschatology? The end times view, right? The end times view. Shout out Study. to our friend Sam Storms that is going that will be on our show. Yep. To discuss our millennialism. So if you're interested in this topic, make sure you tune into that episode. And also Dr. Mark Bailey, who talks about pre-millennialism. Yep. Two very heavy topics uh, that definitely uh, involve lots of study, but these are specialists in this topic, and you should really look forward to what they have to say about it. You anyway, know, our friend Cameron Bertuzzi posted a meme on YouTube. You know how you can like post statuses on YouTube now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He posted a meme joking about how the, the rapture is not in the Bible. And so I'd be curious to where he comes from with that. Mm. And I'd also be curious to know if he'd be willing to talk to Mark Bailey about that. Because I feel like Dr. Bailey awesome. would have something to say about that. For sure. Are you sure that Cameron actually holds that view? Yeah, yeah. Are you finally agreeing so. with me and saying that we need to have Bible dinger debates on air? We need to, only if they're called dinger debates. Ooh. Dingers? <laughs> You are here live when we just thought of, sort of the next best thing. It's actually July 2nd right now. Yes, but we're saying that we're live because you're listening to us, and we want you to feel like you're here. But support us on Patreon because we'll have to pay for these guests. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I do. I am all about debates. Ryan's the one that hates debates, but I love debates. I'll be completely open to it. Anyway, the third one. <laughs> Anyways. You ready for this? Yes. Give me some. Yes. Come on, give me some. Yes. Not that. Give me that. Parker. All right. He tried to hit something, but he missed. <laughs> Daniel was an awesome Story person. Story of Mark's life. Here's a fun fact, <laughs> right? Oh, ho, ho. you feel that? You feel that burn? This is not even about Jeremiah, and we got that more fire up in this episode. Ryan. <laughs> anyway, Daniel was an awesome person. Here's some awesome things about him. You ready? This is how Ryan words this in this outline. He was born into the Jewish royal family. That commentary was unnecessary. Right. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> he was born into the Jewish royal family and was of noble birth. How do we know this? We see it in Daniel 1, 3, and uh, Daniel 1, verse 3 and 6. Daniel 1. Daniel 1. I wish we had that sound bite. From uh, yeah, well, we should have planned more. Yeah. Oh man. Um, anyway, he was physically attractive and mentally sharp. We see that in chapter one, verse four. He was definitely hotter than any of us. All Some these... say that he's still attractive. In oh. in his grave, uh, he's the hottest dead guy I've ever seen. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> All these, he's yeah. drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> go ahead, Mark. No. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. All these men in the Bible are hot. David oh, was hot. All yeah. of them. David, Daniel, Ryan, Nick, <laughs> Saul. Saul was hot. Saul. Yeah. Saul was definitely hot. Um, David's sons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. David's son was really hot. Who else? Goliath. Yeah. He, he was, was just tall. tall. Yeah. Anyway, he lived around 90 years that Ryan discussed already, but we see that in chapter 10, verse 1. End. He was a royal advisor to not one, but two kings. Count them. The Babylonian king in chapter 2, verse 48, and the Medo-Persian king in chapter 6, verse 1. 
So if you don't think he was important or really, 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 really cool to be an advisor to not just one, but two kings. <laughs> That's the qualifications now. That, that right there yeah, qualifies cool. you to being really, really cool. Anyway, Ezekiel mentions him as being wise and righteous and categorizes him as hot. No, I'm kidding. He categorizes him with Noah and Job. I think that's really cool. Yeah, they're both cool guys. Yeah. They're really, really, and really they're cool. old. So I think Noah must have been hot if he built that ark. <laughs> Stop talking about hot guys, bro. Bro, you built an ark, dude. Yeah. You got to be in shape. Yeah. He's picking up those two by fours and was like, hey. All right. What's the last one? Uh, the last one. Ryan's son's Ryan, name. I said stop talking about hot guys. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ryan's son's middle name is Daniel. Yes, that is the last one fact. That's pretty cool. I do like oh. the name. That was pretty cool. The whole thing was cool. You know why? Because we keep saying cool. I'm talking about a lot of middle names today. Yeah. How many Mark. points is this? Uh, yeah, do you guys know my middle name? David. No. Uh, Mark Anthony. <laughs> Mark A. Marcello. Mark A. D. I always Do call him. What? Mark Marcello? <laughs> D. Marky Mark. It's D. It starts no, with it a D. No, it definitely starts with A because I always a. call them Mark A. And oh. he was like, oh, you know, that's the first na- letter of my middle name. So Mark Adam. Mark Abe. Abe. Mark. Allen. No. Mark Abraham. That's very. Uh, I see why you picked that. Mark Arturo Abdul. No, Mark. Not, it's think of a uh, Greek king. Artemis. No. <laughs> <laughs> Greek king. A great Greek ruler. Great Greek Ares. ruler. Mark Ares. That's, that's a god. That's sick. That's a cool name. Mark Aries. I like that. Yeah, Aries. Yeah, right? Aries is cool. You got a cool middle name, Mark. It's not my middle name. Aries is sick, dude. Alexander. No. Oh, that was a good guess, though. That was. That was. was. Alexander the Great, the Greek freaking guy. So it's not Anthony. That's what he's saying right now. No. Mark. Who's Caesar's son? Augustus. Marcello Augustus? August. August. Yeah. Really? That's really? cool. That is really cool. That's so millennial. Yeah, your dad is forward thinking. It's my mom's father's It's your name. full name really? Mark or is it short for something? Mark August. That's no, like what's on your, my birth certificate? Oh, so your full first name is not Marcus. No, it's just Mark. No, it's definitely Mark. Marcello. Marcello Augustine. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. Give a give a hand to Anthony for having a great name. <laughs> you know, my birthday's in August. <laughs> Me too. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think God knew what he was doing here. Don't you think? <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and jump into the outline. There is one, two, three sections of Daniel. I had to scroll all the way down, so now I'm scrolling all the we way back up. We never did this, so we're going to have to do it now. Yeah, I immediately forgot about that soundbite. Yeah, the episode after, but that's normally going to be introducing our title. Our yep. title. Where are the turtles? Yeah, I mean titles. All right. So, the first section is the character of Daniel, and that's really just in chapter one. 
And the first two verses just give you some historical background that it's in the third year of King Jehoiakim. Ooh. We talk about him a lot. Maybe we, we do. Should, maybe we should do some kind of character study on we him do. one day. Hmm. Um, he comes up a lot. He does. And then after that, in verses 3 through 7, you read about Nebuchadnezzar's training program for promising youths. You know what's funny, though? As often as we spoke about him, I still can't say his name. Nebuchadnezzar. No, Jehoiakim. Oh, oh, we weren't talking about him anymore, though. Yeah, but I was. What, is Jehoiakim a different king from Jehoiachin? Yeah, they are. Anyways, verses 3 through 7, as I said, is Nebuchadnezzar's training program for promising youths. And basically, these were young, good-looking, smart men who would be trained for three years and treated well by the king. And among these people were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yep. Not Abednego, Abednego. That's what I do when I'm tired. Abednego. Okay. And then after that is verses 8 through 13. And... This is this is Daniel's resolve to please Yahweh. And basically, here is where he didn't want to eat the food that the king was offering, which was like some hardcore steaks and fries and uh, stuff like that. I don't think that's what they were really eating. It is. He said that God's desire was for him to eat vegetables and drink water. Okay. And that he and the others that ate like him would be even stronger than those who ate the king's food. Which is true. And in verses 14 through 16, yeah, we see that they were indeed stronger after eating yeah. all the vegetables. All those veggies. Yeah. Rather than eating the steaks and the they fries. They had to be shredded. Mm. Yeah. They had to be shredded. They had to be. And sexy. Shredded and sexy. After that, in verses 17 through 21, we see God's blessing of Daniel and his friends. And basically what happened here was that the king had favor on them because they were wiser and had better understanding than everyone else. Nice. Because they were so wise about the diets. Look at you. But was it really just about the food? It was mostly about the food, yes. Okay. Yeah. Eat less, move more, you know? I definitely respect people that eat healthy all the time. Yeah. It takes a lot of willpower. I do not. It takes a lot of willpower. I do for about a week. Yeah. No, I'm... At the point in my life that I can definitely last about three months. After three months, I crumble. Yeah. On a new diet? Anything. I could do anything for about three months. (laughs) Oh. And I'll lose significant weight. I'll drop like 30 pounds. And then after that, I just slowly go back to normal. Bro, pizza is too good. We just ate pizza for all you listeners. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was good. Yeah, it was pretty good. I think that was probably God's will for us. God had a will for Daniel, and that was veggies. But I don't think that's God's will. But for do you us. know why he ate veggies? Because there was no pizza. Mm. <laughs> that's probably it. They Even look. pizza makes veggies good, though. Broccoli pizza, I dig it, bro. Me too. I like Me broccoli too. pizza. Eggplant yeah. pizza. Yeah, bro. Any of that. The only thing I can't get past that my wife loves is her favorite pizza, is Hawaiian. I can't uh, do it. Yeah, I, don't I like, like it. Hawaiian. Do you I like Hawaiian? If you pull the pineapples off, I like it. That's just pizza. I don't <laughs> I don't understand people's disgust with it. No, it's not disgust. It's just not supposed to be there. It's just terrible. It's not disgusting. Well, I understand you guys hate Hawaiians. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I'm supposed to be tasting pizza and I don't. Mm. That's the issue. There's no pizza. I'll eat it just like I ate the uh, sweet potato pizza. Oh. Uh. 
You just fat fingered it, man. I did. That's again. not what you wanted That's to do. That's my thing. What did you want to do? I wanted to do Daddy Loves Docs. Do it. Daddy Loves Docs. Pizza. <laughs> All right. We're getting a little too sidetracked here. It's all right. We had to lighten it up a little bit. I got too serious. Two. What? what the vegetable part? The whole Speaking thing. Speaking of so serious. two, the second section of the book of Daniel is the times of the Gentiles. So this is basically about God's program for the world outside of Israel. And this is chapters two through seven. So there's a lot of prophesying about the near future here. Um, and the first part of it is in chapter two, obviously, which is Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. And what happens here, starting in verses one through three, is that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he doesn't give details about what the dream is. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he expect his like court magician yeah. to just know what he's thinking? And nobody does. Yep. The king's wise men, he calls them. He wanted right. the wise men to tell him what the dream was as well as the interpretation. And they couldn't do it, obviously, because that's a wild, that's a wild request. But Daniel was a confident dude and he said that he can give the king his dream and interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is before he knew the dream and interpretation, but he he boldly claimed, I know what it is, basically. And because of that, in verses 17 through 23, God revealed to Daniel what the dream was. And then there's a little prayer of thanksgiving here, thanking God for it. So in verses 24 through 30, Daniel appeared before Nebuchadnezzar. And what he does first is he gives all the glory to God and says that only God has the power to know the dream. And then in verses 31 through 35, he explains what was in the dream. And what was in the dream was a statue with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, middle and thighs of bronze, which was my nickname in high school. Bronze thighs? Yeah, yeah, bronze thighs. You always have to say something about thighs. Do you realize that? Do Anytime I? we mention thighs. I just think it's a funny uh, word. I think it was a Genesis episode where you're like, shout out to all the thighs out there. Oh, yeah. That's Remember right. that? Yeah. Good times. Oh, you know what it was? It was actually the reliability of the scripture episode. <laughs> because we were talking about, about this dream. That's yeah. Right. That's right. Whoa. Codception. I remember talking about what this means. Yep. Yeah. We were talking about how God has fulfilled prophecies in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Shout out to all the thighs out there. All the OGs. You remember that one. And don't if you know don't know what we were talking about, go back and listen to all of the episodes until you get to the point where you know what we're talking about. It's, yeah, it's episode it's two, I think. Episode so. two. Don't tell them. I you want them to hear them all. Okay. I'll bleep it out. <laughs> uh, okay. So after the thighs of bronze are the legs of iron. And then there's also feet that are a mix of iron and clay. So there, here's this statue made up of all these different parts. And what happened was there was a stone that was thrown at the toes and it destroyed the statue and it turned into rubble. So the stone was destroyed and then the rubble was turned into a mountain. So follow me here. There's a, there's a statue, a boulder gets hurled at the toes and it destroys the whole statue into rubble, the rubble turns into a mountain, and the mountain took over the whole world so that the world was just one giant mountain. Mountain. You take this book seriously? <laughs> this was the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And let me tell you, I've had much crazier dreams than this. So Involving thighs. Involving, <laughs> maybe. 
Anyways, um, after that is the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So <clears throat> not only does Daniel tell him what the dream was, he also interprets it, which helps us because now we know the interpretation. That's in verses 36 through 45. And what happened here or what Daniel explains is that Babylon was the head of gold. They will be overtaken by the silver chest and arms who will then be overtaken by the middle and thighs of bronze, etc. So it'll keep just going down the step. Stop tickling me. Touch some thighs, baby. It'll keep just going down the statue, and the lower part will continue to just take over the part that's higher, essentially. Um, after all that, God is going to set up a kingdom which is going to rule over all the kingdoms that came before it. So that's obviously the rubble turning into the mountain. Mm. And what's most interesting is obviously this all came true. The head of gold represented Babylon, which lasted from 605 to 539 BC. The arms and chest were the Medo-Persian empire. One arm the Mede and one arm the Persians. So it actually said, oh no, never mind. Sorry, this is a different prophecy. I'm getting caught up. So they also taxed their people in silver coins. So that's an interesting thing to keep in mind about the Medo-Persian Empire. They overthrew Babylon and lasted from 539 to 331 BC. After that came Greece, known for their brazen soldiers. Bronze? Brazen? I love brazens. And that lasted from 331 to 168 BC, led by Alexander the Great. Oh, Augustine. Oh, no, that's a... Oh, no. It's the wrong middle name. That's you. Marcus Augustine. So after that was the Roman Empire, and that was the legs of iron. And that that lasted from 168 BC to 476 AD. And then the toes of iron and clay is the dissolved Roman Empire. What happened was Rome was defeated by the barbarian tribes... And it was split up into 10 territories with mixed people groups. This is the mix of iron and clay. And this lasted from 476 to what you could say is present day, because that just kind of evolved into our modern world. So we are now living in an iron and clay world, and I am an iron and clay girl. What? (laughs) You don't know what he's talking about? Yeah. You don't know what I'm talking about? Material girl. Yeah, material world. All right. <clears throat> so that was the dream and the interpretation. And so after Daniel went before King Nebuchadnezzar, told him his dream, told him the interpretation, the king was grateful. And because of that, he placed Daniel in a position of authority. So following that is chapter three. And that starts with the worship of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And basically, a lot of people do know this story, but basically what happened was he made a big old 90-foot-tall statue that he required people to worship. And people had to bow down when they heard the trumpet sound or be thrown into a fiery furnace. So that's the choice they had to make. Sounds simple enough. Yeah. So in verses 8 through 12, we're first introduced... Well, not first introduced, but we're really introduced to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were accused of not bowing to the statue. And they said they they did not bow to the statue. And what they said 
was that they will not worship the statue and that God will save them from the fiery furnace if they get thrown in. And they say, even if he doesn't save them, they're still not going to worship the statue. So one way or the other, they get thrown in the furnace. They don't get thrown in the furnace. They get saved. They don't get saved. They are not going to worship the statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Because of that, in verses 19 through 23, the king was big mad. And he had them big heat up the furnace. Bigly. To, <laughs> bigly, to seven times what it was originally heated to. So that's hot. That's hot. I don't know what it was originally heated to, but even seven times like 50 degrees is like 350 degrees. That's hot. That's hot. Um, that's hot. It was so hot that the people who went to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in died because they got close to the fire. That's how hot it was. Mm. That's I hot. assume they suffocated or something of that nature. And then after that, in verses 24 through 27, I would say this is the crux of this story. Nothing at all happened to the three that were thrown in. And in fact, the king saw a fourth person in the fire who, quote, had the appearance of a god, mm. end quote. There's a lot of speculation on who that may have been. Most people say that it's the pre-incarnate Christ because people do love cameos, I believe. Yep. But some so. people don't think that at all. Depends who you talk to. Well, some pe- well, everybody loves cameos. Yeah, I do love cameos. Have you ever heard of that app, Cameos? Is that like yeah. with a- Cameo Bertuzzi? With a- <laughs> <laughs> we talked hey, about him a lot. That was great, Cameo Bertuzzi. No, that's where you can download the app. And you can hire uh, a, a celebrity yeah. to either wish you a happy birthday or whatever. It, but it's ridiculously expensive. There's like oh, Christian yeah. celebrities on there. Yeah, it's like 200 <laughs> bucks for someone just to say, hey, happy birthday, good to see you, 200 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, people do love cameos, so that's the point of that story. Um, following that is the consequences of God's deliverance in 28 verses... In 3, verses 28 through 30, and what happened here was that the king made a decree that no one shall say anything bad about the God of these three men, or else they'll be torn limb from limb, is what the law stated. That can't go wrong. So this guy is a piece of work, but anyways. He was going to, he set up a statue, and if you don't worship it, you get thrown in the fire. Or if you say something bad about this guy, he's going to tear you limb from limb. Mm. He was kind of like, uh, you know, authoritarian, he seems like, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Next is yep. the great chapter four in the book of Daniel. The great one. The great one that talks about Nebuchadnezzar's pride and humility. So this is broken down into six points. Uh, we see uh, Nebuchadnezzar's in- introductory doxology in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where he's saying God is great and his wonders are mighty. His dominion endures forever. And then we see the king's frustration over his second dream in chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And he, like we said before, this is the second time that he actually, he just wanted to know what it meant. So then he, uh, he has an account of his dream in chapter 4, verses 10 through 18. Basically, it was a big tree, and its top went to heaven, 
and it was visible to the earth, to the whole earth. And its leaves were beautiful and fruit too, and it was good shade for the animals and good housing for the birds. So a watcher from heaven wanted him to chop it down, but leave the stump and bound it with a band of iron and bronze. So in short, that was the dream. This guy's always dreaming, bro. Yeah, the dreams are awesome. So I just want to say that if I had to choose to dream anything, I mean, as long as it didn't have this meaning, I would definitely want to dream that dream. Yeah. You know what I was thinking, though? Have you ever Kidnezzered before? Have I ever Kidnezzers? Kidnezzered? Because I never Kidnezzered before. You never Kidnezzered before. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Never. Never Kinezzard? <laughs> I always Kinezzard before. <laughs> All right, keep going. No, and guys, this is supposed to be funny, just letting you know. Anyway, uh, next well, up in... Not. No, it's not funny at all. Do you guys think it's funny? Because I don't. Um, next, we see Daniel's interpretation of the dream in chapter 4 at the end, uh, going on through uh, verses 27. The tree was never Kinezzard, and because his heart and mind were puffed up with pride... He was going to be driven from human society to live with the animals and eat the things that they eat. So in short, it was to show that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to whoever he chooses. Uh, we see that in chapter 4. We, as we continue through verses 28 to 33, we see the fulfillment of that. And then we see Nebuchadnezzar's restoration at the end of the chapter, he was restored. And what did he do? The most important thing when we go through trials is what? To come back to God. And he was restored and worshipped the Most High. Mm. And in chapter 5, we see Belshazzar's feast. I had to pause on that name for a second. Belshazzar's feast. Belshazzar's. Belshazzar. I think it could be Belshazzar. Belshazzar? I don't know. What do you think? could be either. Belshazzar, dishonoring of Yahweh in chapter 5 in the beginning, while they were all drunk together and, and, and they were praising their idols. So we see that story in the beginning. Um, God, God gives Belshazzar a revelation at the end of uh, verse 9. They saw the fingers of a human hand writing on a plaster wall, and nobody, nobody knew what it meant. Was it a plaster wall? Did it say plaster wall? Did they have plaster? Like- Look it up. I'm not going to look up if they had plaster. Well, it was a wall. Okay. It was wallpaper. Okay. It was a wall. And um, in verses 10 to 12, uh, the queen's council, she told them about Daniel. In Belshazzar's request of Daniel in verses 13 to 16, that the enchanters and wise men didn't know what the writing meant. Oh, so basically... Okay, so we're at chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. <laughs> what I want to say is... Belshazzar told Daniel, So the enchanters and the wise men don't know what the writing meant. Do you, Daniel? If you do, you'll be clothed in purple robes of royal honor and get a gold chain and become third highest ruler in the kingdom. Uh. What did Daniel do? He rebuked him. Daniel was a G here. Straight up G. He said, keep your gifts, right? And Belshazzar did not have a humble heart and lifted himself against the Lord of heaven. And as we continue, verses 25 and 28, 
we see the interpretation of the writing. God has numbered the days of, of his kingdom and brought it to an end. So then, at the end, we see Daniel's rise and Belshazzar's fall. Daniel was given the purple robe and chain. But later that night, Belshazzar was killed. I haven't worn a purple robe and chain in a minute. Hours. I love purple robes. I only wear them when I Kadnezer. I never Kadnezer. Anyway, in chapter 6, we see Darius's pride and Daniel's preservation. Daniel's promotion in the Persian government and the beginning of chapter 6. So basically, Darius took over and Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials because an excellent spirit was in him. So the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. But then we see a conspiracy against Daniel in uh, verses 4 through 9, since he was innocent of any wrong and they were jealous of him. The other high priests wanted to set him up against his own God. So they got the king to establish an ordinance that whoever made a petition to any God except him for 30 days would be cast in a lion's den. So this is the introduction to probably the most popular story in this entire book. Uh, but then in uh, verses 10 through 15, we see Daniel's faithfulness and Darius' predicament. The setup worked. So what happened? They tossed him in a lion's den in verses 16 through 18. But then we see Daniel's deliverance and his enemy's destruction in verses 19 through 24. God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they didn't harm him at all. Hmm. So this is really shut cool. Shut your mouth, lion. Yeah. Are you If you want to learn something about God, shut me? your mouth and listen to me for a minute. Are you lying to me? Are you lying to me? Ooh. Are you lying to me? Okay. Are you lying to me? I can't with you, bro. Are you lying to me? All right. Daniel's deliverance and his enemy's destruction. God sent him his angel. And then in verses 25 through 28, what do we see? Darius' decree and praise of Yahweh. Darius threw the people and their families that tried to set him up in the lion's den instead. And he made a decree that people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. Or they will be torn limb from limb. Limb from limb, baby. Okay, so next we see Daniel's vision of future world history in chapter 7. We are introduced to the four beasts that the book will give us a clear meaning of as to what these are. And uh, the we see the Ancient of Days and the destruction of the fourth beast in chapter 7. Verses 9 through 12, the fourth beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Then we see the son of man's kingdom in chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, which is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. We see him painted all throughout the Old Testament and the Bible as a whole really does a great job at pointing us to the new covenant that we are in in Christ. And then we see the interpretation of the four beasts. That's what I hinted at. And that's in verses 15 through 18. So uh, we see that. that. Sorry. (laughs) We see that in verses 15 through 18. And Daniel requested for the interpretation of the fourth beast in uh, the fourth beast in verses 19, 19 through 22. These four beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. And the fourth beast was different from all the other kingdoms and devoured the whole earth, right? 
Oh, you are so right, Nikki. Right, right? Yeah, just making sure that I'm right. And basically, the end of the fourth piece and the beginning of the everlasting kingdom we see in, ch- in verses 26 through 28. But what, what are the... Uh, we know what the, the beasts do, right? And we see that one basically uh devours the earth and the the fourth the fourth beast was killed and its body destroyed what do you what do you think the actual beasts represent um uh, well <clears throat> this vision has a lot in common with the statue vision uh these beasts have commonalities with the four kingdoms that were to arise the babylonian the medo persian the greek and the roman um, there's, there's little nuances such as the bear that, that was supposed to represent Medo-Persia. The book mentions that one leg was bigger than the other leg. And basically that means that Persia was the more dominant nation in the Medo-Persian empire. Um, so there's a lot of, this just gives you some more detail on the four kingdoms that were coming. It's similar to the statue dream and prophecy and it's also similar to the next section which i guess we'll go ahead and get into in chapters eight and nine where daniel has a vision of a ram and a goat these are all directly correlated with each other now the setting of the vision was the third year of king belshazzar or belshazzar or whatever you want to say um And basically, there's this ram in verses 2 through 4 who had two horns, but one was bigger than the other. So we see that again, the Medo-Persian Empire. The ram ran around and did whatever he wanted. Rammed around? He rammed around and did whatever he wanted. And then in verses 5 through 8, there was a goat that came around. And the goat had a horn pop up between his eyes. So you're going to have to try and follow because these are some weird these are some weird you? dreams and visions in this book. But basically, there's this ram with two horns. One's bigger than the other. Then here comes a goat and a horn comes out from between his eyes. And so basically, this goat came from nowhere and then he <laughs> rammed the ram. And the ram was destroyed by the goat. And then after the goat destroyed the ram, his horn fell off. And then four horns grew in that horn's place. Okay, so keep following me. Now this goat killed the ram. Four horns grew out of his head. Now, out of one of the four horns, a little horn grew from that horn. So this is one horny goat. (laughs) I was just about to say that, bro. You took the word right out of my mouth. (laughs) okay so there was a little horn that grew out of one of the four horns and it became a great horn and the great horn was powerful it says that in verses 9 through 14 now the interpretation of this vision was in verses 15 through 26 and the vision is interpreted to daniel by the angel Gabriel. So what up? Another cameo. Here's the angel Gabriel showing up in Daniel. And it says the ram was Medo-Persia and the goat is Greece. Greece destroyed Medo-Persia with its first horn slash king. 
But when that king is gone, four others will arise with four kingdoms. The little powerful horn that grew out of one of the four horns is a bold king, and he will destroy people and saints. And so if you know anything about world history, you know that this first horn slash king is Alexander the Great. He keeps getting shout outs on this episode. What up, Alex? My parents named me wrong. Yeah, they totally jacked you up. Um, what was your middle name again? So Augustine. What happened after August? August. <laughs> what happened after Daniel had these visions is that he became sick for many days afterwards. Also, I wanted to note that Persia was the longer horn on the ram, uh, similar to the bear having a longer leg, because they were more powerful. And the ram was the guardian animal of Persia. So basically what happened was the kings would carry a ram's head into battle with them, and they believed that the ram would give them strength and bring them victory in battle. So the ram was a sign of Persia. The ram would give them nutrients. (laughs) (laughs) They gave them no strength. Um, And then obviously, like I mentioned, the goat's first horn was uh, Alexander the Great. And he conquered Persia in some somebody somebody time BC. After that, we get one of the most difficult portions of scripture, and I will explain it clearly and perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> and that is chapter nine, and that is Daniel's vision of the seventy sevens, or sometimes known as the seventy weeks of Daniel. So we see in chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, there's Jeremiah's prophecy of Jerusalem's restoration, and then there's Daniel's response. So basically, Daniel says that 70 years must pass before the end of Jerusalem's desolation. Following that, in verses 4 through 14, there's Daniel's prayer of confession, and he confessed that Israel has been sinful and has turned away from God and deserves the calamity that has come upon them. And then in verses 15 through 19, there's Daniel's petition for restoration. And here Daniel just asks God to have mercy on himself and Israel. And then there's God's response to Daniel's prayer. And this is where it gets a little tricky. This is verses 20 through 23. And God sends Gabriel again. So they're getting to be bros at this point. God sends Gabriel to give Daniel the 77's vision. And in verses 24 through 27, we see the revelation of possibly Israel's future in the 77s, possibly the world's future. Have we talked about the Hebrew numerology of what seven means? We haven't on this show, no. But anyways. We can at some point. It, I mean, basically it means perfection, right? Yeah. yeah. Completion. I think three is three is completion. 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 Seven is no. Uh, I think it's the opposite. I think three is perfection. Three is perfection. No, because anything done three times in Scripture is fully complete. That's why you see holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty because He's fully holy. It's whatever fully full, holy. fully holy. <laughs> it's whatever the completed fullness of whatever you're doing. Anyways, okay. Either those. way, I don't know a lot about that stuff, but. Uh, In verses 24 through 27, there's a lot of numbers, and there's a lot of confusing things going on in these verses. And 
one thing I want to note is that these verses are really the basis of premillennialism. And it would take a huge amount of time to explain this portion. So instead of me actually sitting here and trying to explain what the 70 weeks of Daniel are, um, we are going to have two episodes coming up. One, as Nick mentioned, with Dr. Mark Bailey, president of Dallas Theological Seminary, a.k.a. Dispensational Theological Seminary. And he is going to give us a case for premillennialism. And then we are going to have Dr. Sam Storms from the Gospel Coalition give us a explanation on amillennialism. Um, so I couldn't even begin to explain verses 24 through 27 of chapter 9 in Daniel. So... Yeah, we'll just scratch the surface, but uh, make sure you listen to those two episodes. And along with those episodes, you have to do your own research because you cannot learn about these topics in 40 minutes of an episode. It does take some time of real deep digging uh, studying. So uh, the final uh, chapters of this book is chapters 10 through 12, and that's Daniel's most detailed vision of the future. Uh, whatever that future looks like, depending on what camp you're in. Um, we see Daniel's preparation to receive the vision in chapter 10 through 11. Um, that's fasting, mourning, praying for three weeks. And then we see the near future in chapter 11, um, all the way to the end of that. Three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be richer than all of them. Then we see the distant future and the end of Israel's tri trials. Um, towards the end, uh, well, the end of the book in chapter 12. That's it. So that's pretty much, that pretty much wraps up our episode on the book of Daniel. We do hope you enjoyed it. But it's not to take the place of you opening your Bible and reading the stuff for yourself. We're just scratching the surface, but we do want to encourage you to read your Bibles. If you like what you heard and you're enjoying our episodes this far, Make sure you get on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and search us at Bible Dingers across the board. And while you're there, just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Hit subscribe, hit like, hit follow, and most importantly, ding on.